All right, welcome, 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 everybody, to the Slapshot Podcast. My name is Sam Nessler. I'm your host. I am joined today by Warren Nielsen, who joined us for the first episode. What's going on, Warren? How are you doing? Not much. Good to be back. Dealing with a little snow here in beautiful Pacific Northwest and stoked to talk about some hockey. Nice, man. Yeah, it's been cold. I got the fire going like I had in the first episode, but I turned it down a little bit, so it's not 85 degrees in my apartment, so <laughs> should be a little bit better for this one. But we are also joined today by special guest Andrew Bowl, coming from hey. Austin, Texas. What's up, man? Not too bad. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Excited to be here, you know? <laughs> Long time listener for the two weeks of this podcast history. We appreciate well, it. Well, yeah, and I, I should point out I, I had a, a pretty busy week of work last week, so I only listened to the first episode, but I was just know it's a good one. You know, it's okay because the second episode was just Sam, and I don't think anybody wants to listen to that. So we'll do it better here with three people on this episode. We're going to get into some fun stuff today. We're going to jump off talking about the path to the NHL for a player, something that is very unknown for most people. I was going to say most non-hockey people, but I didn't even know it for most of my career. So <laughs> most most people in the world don't know all the different paths and all the different ways to the NHL. So we're going to talk about that. Um, we're going to talk about our favorite hockey moments, you know, whether it's playing or watching or whatever it might be. And then we're going to go into what is the true state of hockey in the United States. And, uh, That'll, that'll be an interesting topic, just a little teaser for that. That'll be a fun one. There's some, some surprising stats that I was able to find on that that, uh, that people might not, might not uh, expect. So let's jump right in. Before we get into the path, I want to ask you guys a question, something that I've heard a ton of over this last you know, month and a half of the beginning of this season, uh, and it's been a topic for a while, you know, similar to how making overtime three and three was a topic for a few years. This has been something that I've heard for the last couple of years. It's called the three, two, one point system. Uh, and it's actually used in college. So basically three points for a regulation win, two points for an overtime or shootout win and one point for an overtime or shootout loss. So I want to get your guys take on that. Uh, Warren, what do you think? How would that work in the NHL and would it work? Yeah, it's such a good question. I I think it works, you know, for the college game. Obviously, the good teams make it, and and the other teams are kind of cast aside. It'll be. I think it's so interesting nowadays because a lot of teams kind of hold on for that overtime win, and I, I think it boosts them a little farther in the standings. I, I think the way the point system's fine now, you know, because the good teams still win Presidents trophies, even though they're <laughs> they're not always winning the cups. But but I I think it could work. It, I'd be so interesting to try out. I don't know, you know, if they would trial it for like a preseason or a round robin something like that but I, I guess there's no real format to do that either but yeah I, I think it could be kind of cool to see teams just fly up with three points you know yeah, yeah i mean i think you're looking at like the amount of points like who was it a the capitals or lightning a few years ago that had like 100 points you start seeing teams at like 160 now winning the league <laughs> that like, that'd be pretty exciting too yeah you'd be seeing some ridiculous amount of points for someone like the lightning who were unstoppable uh, a couple of years ago and I think they already had like 120 points. So I can't imagine what they would have if they were able to pick up three because they never lost in overtime yeah. or never won in overtime. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I mean going I, off what, what Warren was saying real quick. I mean, I think the I was watching, I think it was Ducks Sharks uh, like a week ago and they were, it was Sharks at Honda Center. And you could tell like the last two minutes, the Sharks were basically playing to get to overtime just so they could secure a point. And yeah. I think if you, if you, you know, throw three points for regulation win, you're probably going to see teams be a little bit more risky in that play. And mm. it, it might come back to, like, you know, bite them in the ass and end up just losing every point. But I feel like you're, you know, the last three, four minutes when you have those close, like, 2-2 games, it, it could be a, a, a big difference in the actual style of play you see. Yeah, yeah I think, I think the, point. the biggest thing, that's that's the biggest topic that I've heard is that it'll change the way the game is played because I've seen so many games, and especially this year, where teams do exactly what you were saying, Bolt, where the last 10 minutes, sometimes even the whole third period, is played like a, a dump-and-chase, territorial, we're-not-going-to-get-beat kind of game. And that's that's not exciting. It's not what people want to see. Um, you know, I'm not saying they have to go all out, three-on-three overtime, the whole game, crazy, you know, back-and-forth rushes. But when a team is, is 1-1 and that team is, you know, let's say they're fourth in the standings and need to make up some ground – they're probably going to take a couple more risks with their defensemen to score that goal um, because one point's not really going to help them a ton. You know, where as of right now, it's you get to overtime, anything can happen, and you can score in that three-on-three or shootout, uh, which is another topic, that the, the whether the shootout should be there at all. But 
I think that it'll just be something that if they were to test it out, you know, teams can make up ground even faster, um, or teams can get ahead even faster. And they know that, uh, you know, if we are, if we're to win this game, we're not only stopping this team from getting a point, we're getting three instead of two, which can you imagine that in the division alignment we have right now? You know, we won't see it this year, of course, but where teams are already playing in four point swing games because every game's against a division opponent. But imagine if they were able to get three points instead of just two and stop the other team from getting any points. I think it would be, it would be wild to see how drastically the standings could change every night. Also, I think you make a good point. Like if you have a playoff race and you're down nine points right now, that's what five games that you have to play. Hopefully that, you know, the other team drops points and you get them. If you switch that, I mean, realistically you could, be right back in the playoffs with three games now so i feel like there's it's obviously inflated if there's more points in general but i feel like those playoff races towards the end of the season what you're saying with the you know six point games now in a sense like that's huge uh back and forth yeah and i think something that is uh was seen in college that i just saw this past week was uh minnesota was one of the best best teams in college all year they were number one they were pretty much set to win their their conference and then all of a sudden they lost a couple games. Wisconsin won a couple games, and then they were playing each other back-to-back nights. And since they have this yeah. 3.1 system, Wisconsin won both games and jumped into first just like that. And then this past week, Wisconsin lost the game. Minnesota won two games, and now Minnesota's up three points in the, in the conference. So that can be a good thing, and that can also be a bad thing, which I think is where the vote splits is do you want that drastic of changes as a, as a team in the NHL or a fan, whatever it is, or do you want it to be a little more consistent where you really have to work to develop those those one point two point games and and get your way to the top but i agree i think it's an interesting one i i would like to see it tried out um again the tough thing with the nhl is it's not like you can try it out for a little bit and change it i don't think that yeah. that's something that's really an option um i think they have to kind of do it for at least a full season and i just can't imagine it's so tough for rule changes and stuff because if it's wrong it's usually pretty obvious something yeah. is when a rule is made that's kind of weird it's it's very stands out a lot in games and it like i said they have to keep it for most of the season so something to keep an eye on but let's move on here um like i said in the intro the path of an nhl player is something that is so confusing for most uh whether you play or you don't play and i want to clear it up because i wanted to clear it up for myself i i had to do some research the last you know 6 months to really understand this um and it's a very complicated system. There's tons of different ways to do it. Obviously, there's no correct way. But what we're going to focus on is an American-born player making their way up, um, playing through in their uh, in their local high school. So whether that's a private school or a public school. So I'm going to start it off here. Simplest way to way to do it. We're going to talk. Obviously, youth hockey is youth hockey. You're playing as a as a little kid, not thinking about anything. It starts to become a little more serious when you get to, I believe, it's Pee Wee level. Um, then you start to get the the double A, triple A travel teams and all those all those more intense teams. So triple A is the best the best path, um, you know, to take if you're taking it seriously. You want to get into a into a travel team, get into the the mentality of hockey being you know more serious rather than just playing in your local house club and um, you know maybe being the best player, but you're you're not getting the competition that you're going to get and going to these tournaments. So. Pee Wee Bantam all the way up to to eighth grade uh, playing AAA travel teams is something that that most, if not all, players do uh, that, that eventually make their way to the NHL. And then moving on from that, this is actually more split than I thought. Uh, going to high school, private versus public. So I thought that it would be private school, ninety percent to ten percent, but it was actually closer to like a sixty forty split from what I saw um, of players that played at least a couple of years in their public schools before going on to a, to the new, a different level, whether it was a private school or the next level. So high school, private school, uh, especially there's tons of schools like, you know, Shattuck St. Mary's and schools that players go from all over the country to play at, um, you know, they go live in a different state and play at these schools because they're, they're hockey powerhouses and they can base, it's basically college, you know, you're basically playing for a college team, um, in that area. So Youth to high school, private or public, either one. Now is where it gets really complicated. So, like I said, a lot of players at least play two years of high school um, before moving on to the next level. That next level for most of those players ends up being juniors. So 
juniors, the biggest juniors, uh, major juniors is USHL and the CHL, which is in Canada. No, Sam, the USHL is, is not technically major junior. It's so weird. Yeah, so even then, the because major junior are the guys that get paid, I think, right? You know, I'm not I'm not sure on the actual pay system, but I know what I, what I mean by major juniors. You're right because I forgot there there's actual named main major juniors. Yeah. But basically, what I mean is the the main that people play um, in. You know, a lot of players that are that are American born are playing in either the USHL or the uh, the CHL. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. There's also Canada major juniors, um, and there's about 15 different tiers of them. So Warren, I know you played juniors for a little bit. So why don't you give us a little bit of a rundown on how juniors works? Yeah, that was the peak, Sam. That was the peak. So the the the, the, way that, the juniors is weird. So it's it's there's so many different junior leagues and they're they're opening and folding. But the, like you said exactly, the cornerstone of it is the the OHL or the major juniors. And those guys, it's broken up. There's the Western Hockey League, which is you know Western United States, um, and then British Columbia. I think. Alberta as well and then there's the Q the Quebec Major Junior League and then the O the Ontario Hockey League and the, and those are the three leagues that I think last year like 71 of 217 prospects or the, of the draft picks were from that major junior so it's definitely quote-unquote the pipeline to the NHL um, and then you look at the first round stats same thing so those are the guys that are the getting paid they're usually kind of out-of-state guys a lot of guys that will bill it at you know other families houses and and uh, and really but the thing is, is because they get paid, they lose their college eligibility. So these are guys that are really kind of selling out, you know, for the, the hockey uh, sort of career um, for the time being. But they also, I think they reimburse them every year. So if they do a year in whatever those leagues are, they also get a year of uh, ho- um, college paid for, at least <clears throat> the American-born players I'm aware of. Um, a couple of them kind of, you know, can get credit through that. And then the other one, you know, the other junior leagues, there's there's just different tiers to it. So the, the USHL is tier one. And then there's also the NAHL the tier two, but they're almost interchangeable. For example, like the I think the the national team development program plays in the NAHL, uh, from my understanding. And so those leagues are ones that colleges can kind of get players from, um, and they're not paid. But certainly, you know, they're getting gear and sticks and everything. Like <laughs> when I played juniors, we played a team from the NA, and one of the guys broke his sticks, and and he, I was like, "Hey, can I have that? Because it's got warranty, you know? Because my junior league wasn't getting anything with the gear, <laughs> so so he gave it to me, so I got a free stick out of it. But yeah, those guys are they're good, and and it's just this really uh, rich skill and very competitive, and all you know, fighting it day in and day out to kind of get. Um, and, and we had some, a couple like NA bounce backs and they were really great players and good guys. So, and then, you know, there's the tier three leagues. So there's like junior A, junior B, even junior C. And so it's just, I think there's a, a really D weird, as well, is there, yeah, <laughs> oh my God, I think there's a D yeah. at least in the, at least in Canada there is. Yeah. And these are guys, I think you, to be eligible, you're like 15. What is it? Jason Spezza had like, there's some rule where if it's like your local team, you can play there if you're 15, um, because he played for, I think the Brigadiers or one of the O or Q teams. Um, and then. Otherwise, you have to be 16, and then uh, they're eligible till they're 20, and then they have to go somewhere else. And that's where a lot of guys kind of go. The, the ECHL, so named, everyone comes here league. Uh, there's, but some guys, <laughs> come, you know, get out of the ECHL and make the NHL. Um, you know, it's not like the a- the AHL. I think the AHL this year, there's something like 162 people, or pardon me, 622 graduates from the AHL that are in the NHL opening rosters. So it's definitely, you know, not the farm teams, but the ECHL is another kind of pro league, so to speak, that people go in. Yeah. That was, sorry, I went on a side team. No, you're good. Little. You're good. And I was just going to say, it's funny when you play, uh, you play for a specific team, you know, you watch an NHL team and they have what, 15 sticks taped completely how they want them ready to go. <laughs> they got three pairs of gloves. They got two helmets, but you go into in one of our games and break your stick whether it's you can be playing college or whatever it is you break one of your sticks you're like ah i gotta use a rental now or a from one from the lost and i'm gonna have a second yeah. one you know your second one's like a 60 flex from middle school um <laughs> so it's a different world for sure when you get to that level but yeah the interesting part about about the juniors too is like you said you can't get uh you don't get paid in the ushl so you're out allowed to play in uh college which is a, why mm-hmm. a lot of people go to the USH, ushl when yeah. the you know the other leagues like like the o and the dub are are actually better quality a lot of times so mm-hmm. a lot of those players say you know when they're in high school they want to play college hockey you know why do you want to play college hockey is the question <laughs> um but that's that's their goal so um you know there's no like i said at the beginning there's no clear path of what is better for for the nhl but uh, most of the players that go to college want to go play at college you know it's not like that's just the next step it's that 
they make the decision, I'm going to one of these leagues that keeps me eligible because I eventually want to play, you know, division one somewhere. So yeah, that's the, that's the, the biggest thing with, with juniors. And like I said as well, that a lot of teams play, like you said, you have to be 16 to go. So a lot of players will play the first couple of years in their high school area. Um, whether it's public or private, like I know kids and kids from, from Chatham would play the first couple of years and it's unbelievable to see these players that are going on to, to better things because the, the difference in a public school player versus a player who's, who should probably be already in a higher level is insane. So you get players that are just standouts for two years and then they go off and play juniors somewhere else. So let's talk about the 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 college so college is pretty simple for most of these players it's going to be d1 not a lot of players make it from d2 or d3 um, into the nhl so they play either two or four years again the path can be complicated where they only come in for their for two years uh, and then they go out to a different league but let's talk draft so through all of this most of these players are getting drafted whether it's in college in juniors uh, whatever it might be so Talk a little bit about that, Warren, how that works with the draft and, you know, when is the time they're getting drafted? When are they eligible to go play? I mean, it's all over the place. You know, there's guys that they get drafted out of college and they finish their college season and they go play in the NHL, you know, right away. I forget there was a couple BU guys a few years back, right, that made like an an impact right away in the NHL playoffs. I think Goudreau. Um, Yeah, Goudreau was. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then. It's you know then there's guys that get drafted and and they're sitting in the wings for a while and they and they go back and they play in their respective CHL leagues or whatever it is or eventually the AHL um, and I, I just really think it depends on development and the contract and and the team kind of specific I really I you know I never made it beyond junior A tier three for goodness sake so I I was never a prospect or anything um, I really don't know that's a that's a good question yeah I, I think the the you said it perfectly with it's kind of all over the place because it really is. It's like a lot of players, um, you know, that are playing in NCAA have been drafted already for a couple of years. You know, they were drafted when they were in the in the USHL and they're already they're coming into Minnesota or whatever school and they're playing for two to four years and they're already a Chicago Blackhawks draft pick where, um, you know, that's the chosen path for them to keep their development going. And then then you get into the more complex thing, which will go here to the next step, which is when let's say you get drafted in the USHL and then you go on, you want to play at Minnesota. So you're at Minnesota, mm-hmm. you're a Chicago Blackhawks draft pick. Let's say now you have to decide whether you want to play the full four years of your career in college and finish your degree or whether or not you'll be, be- you'll be better off going to a different league. <coughs> and then that's when you start looking at, uh, you know, the other, the other pro leagues that you go to before the NHL, which is when you start getting into the, even more complications because let's just stick with the main ones that we know of. You know, like you said, the ECHL, uh, you got the KHL, you got the Liga in Finland, you have 15 others in, in Sweden and Canada, and they're, they're all over the place. And a lot of these players will go, you know, they'll come out of college and that's where they'll go play. You know, this is when it starts to get a little bit of a gray area where you have a player like Miro Haskinen who doesn't play in any of these other leagues really once he's drafted because he just comes in and plays right away at the age of 19. But then you have a lot of guys who, you know, you'll see draft prospects coming up for your team. You know, let's say uh, bowl, you're watching the ducks and you're like, Oh, this is a new guy getting his NHL debut. And you're like, wait, he's 27. How's he getting yeah. his NHL debut at 27? I always had questions about that, especially with the draft. Cause I think the, I mean, going back to the ducks, like Troy Terry, I remember when he was drafted and it was like a ton of hype about him. I'm like, man, I'm excited to see this guy play. And then he went to Denver for, for like three or four years. Never saw him. I just saw like all of his highlights <clears throat> for the U.S. team. And it was like killing it, uh, being like Oshi, just taking like shootout after shootout goal. Uh, so that made me excited. But I was wondering, like, is it basically just a choice that like, hey, I got drafted by the Ducks. I'm either going to go play for, was it the goals? Or I can go to like play at Denver for a few years and then eventually, you know, go to the actual Ducks organization like when I want to? Or is it kind of a combination, like you were saying, that you know, two to four years, but you play two years and maybe all of a sudden Anaheim comes calling. They're like, all right, you know, we want to bring you in to play in the NHL, not necessarily like the AHL anymore, and they can just like skip out early. Yeah, it's, it's a choice, but it's not always the player's choice. Um, some organizations are good at the conversation. Like I know Dallas specifically has a lot of uh, examples where someone like, you know, Rope Hans is like, I feel good. I could probably play in the AHL or the NHL, but 
I think I could use another year over in, in, uh, in Finland. And so that's where the conversation kind of comes in where it's not really a choice as in like, if you want, I want to play in the NHL, you're just, and you're just going to hop into the lineup cause you're not ready. So, uh, the conversation comes with from, from the GM and they decide, you know, what the best path is for you. And then I'm sure they get a say in it, you know, if they're, if they want to really want to play NCAA and then I'm not sure they're not going to tell them no, but um, that's where it comes into the point where the AHL is, for the most part, you're ready to play in the NHL. You just need to consistently play games and get yourself a little bit, you know, a little bit better to to get into actual NHL games. Where the other leagues are are truly um, development. You know, if you're if you're going over, if you're playing the ECHL, you're probably spending the entire year there getting ready for the next season when you're going to make your debut. So. A lot of teams, you'll, you'll see prospects, they, they're good at showing this at the beginning of the season where they release like a, a list of uh, best prospects for the team. And you look at them and you're like, this is where they'll spend the season. You're like, wait, I don't understand why why this is one of the best play, projected best players for this team, but they're in the ECHL for the entire year. So it kind of varies with, with age, development, what level they're at, and it's not the same for any player. You know, it's, it varies greatly between players. So then you get into this point where, you know, these other pro leagues, they're playing there, they're getting ready. They eventually make their way to the AHL for the most part. Some players, like I said, play an ECHL half season and then they're ready for the NHL. That is not usually the case. Usually they get to the AHL eventually. They're ready. They're just on the on the brink of being ready to play for the, the big NHL club, but the team wants them to play games in the AHL. And again, a consistent uh, topic here, it's a gray area because – a lot of players are AHL career players, and I don't think yeah. a lot of people know that. Where like, you know, he might even play an NHL game or two, but he's an AHL guy. He's not going to be the next, you know, top six forward on the on the Blackhawks. He's going to be a guy that plays for their AHL squad. Maybe he gets traded to different AHL teams, and that's his career. Um, and that happens a lot more than people think. It happens in all the leagues. I mean, you get career KHL guys, you get career ECHL guys, uh, guys that play overseas and don't come back. You know, so it happens. Uh, not every player that's getting developed for the NHL plays in the NHL and has a successful career. So that's just the way it is. But when you get to the AHL, you make your way in. You're in the AHL team. Let's just use Dallas again. You're on the Texas Stars. Uh, you know, Warren, how does that? work with with their specific time that a lot of these guys spend in the AHL or is there you know is there a path that they follow once they're there the you know when it comes to call-ups or when it comes to getting developed to get ready to be a full-time player I think it's just so team dependent I think it's it's that player like you said there's the development and then there's you know their age and I just think there's so much that scouts do and that we don't know and I, I just think like you know, there's a player a few years back, like Andrew Ladd, you know, he was AHL for years and then he played really well, got pulled up to the NHL, did well there too. And I just think it's kind of a balance between those teams. And obviously the priority is the NHL for, you know, those organizations. Um, so, and I think that there's no ideal time. I, I think it just really depends on kind of age, what their potential is. And I, you know, it's, it's something that the management and the scouts and everything else kind of does with a daily basis, but obviously the AHL is somewhere you know, I think that those it's a very fluid thing that that players can kind of be called up, you know, like, for example, the stars like you were mentioning and a few other organizations, they'll kind of give guys a few games where they can watch the NHL games and play in the AHL and kind of get their speed back up or even players that get injured that aren't high profile players. They'll play a couple games in the AHL and then come back in the NHL. So it's just it's very dependent. I think it's organization dependent and it's beyond my understanding, too. So, yeah, <laughs> but, absolutely. Yeah. But I think. The key there that you know we is that when you get to the AHL, usually you're right on the doorstep. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not that means you're right on the doorstep where you're gonna get called up for a couple games, or you're right on the doorstep where once uh, you know the team is struggling or an injury or something happens, you have your chance to be the guy and you might be the future, like a Dennis Gurionov or someone who gets called up and doesn't get sent back down. But you also have a lot of guys like uh I'm using the stars as examples, just I, I have the most knowledge of their prospects, but you know, a guy like Justin Dowling, he's been an AHL guy his pretty much entire life. I think he's like 34 years old now, but he plays a NHL games every season. And sometimes he's in like he was in for half the playoffs last year. So you're not ever out of it is what I want to make clear. You're in the AHL. You might be a career AHL guy. You're playing almost your entire career, but you're always going to have your chance. You never know where a guy, you know, we've seen goalies come out of nowhere 
Tim being Thomas, a, yeah, yeah, being like a thirty-five-year-old guy getting called up for for one game when they have three goalies injured, and all of a sudden he's the guy for the next three years. So or the Zamboni driver just happens to exactly. start a second <laughs> yeah. career. You never know. So, but traditionally, you're in the AHL. You're right on the doorstep. You're getting called up for a couple games. Um, you might get called up and continue playing, or you play most of the season, you know, back and forth, and then the next year you really make your step. Um, that's the great thing about training camp too, is they invite all these guys that are on this border, you know, whether from the, they're from one of the junior leagues or whether they're on a, a pro league, um, or whether they're a mostly AHL guy, they all come to training camp and then they kind of decide this guy should stay up here and be close, <laughs> quote unquote, close to our NHL club. Um, or this guy should be sent back for another year, you know, in Finland or whatever it is. So speaking of call-ups though, let's talk, I want to talk about this briefly because we could talk about it forever. I feel like, cause it's such a funny topic, but how interesting is it that most NHL clubs are not super close to their AHL affiliate? Like yeah, where, you know, a team that needs to have a guy, you know, traditional call-ups are not planned out. You know, a lot, sometimes you get an injury and you know, three days from now, this guy's not going to be ready. But most of the time it's like that morning, you're like, all right, this guy's not ready to go. We need to call somebody up. Um, and we're not going to talk this year with the taxi squad. Obviously, that's not the case. You can carry way more people because of COVID. But traditionally, you're not carrying that many guys. You know, you only have two scratches, three scratches a game. Um, so if you need to call somebody up, a lot of times it's that day. So can you imagine, you know, let's put the the distance aside because there's a ridiculous amount of travel for some of these people. And sometimes they can't call them up because it's, a tr- it's truly like a four-hour flight away from where they're supposed to be playing. Um, but... How do you feel as an as a guy in the AHL where it's two o'clock in the afternoon and you're in Austin, Texas and playing for the Texas Stars and you get a call, okay, we need to catch this. I don't know, I'm assuming they fly them if they're going, you know, that day. We gotta take this flight. I gotta go from being an AHL guy who didn't have a game tonight to flying to Dallas, jumping in this lineup and playing in an AHL game. Either one of you guys can answer that question. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's got crazy, right? I mean, the same thing as you were saying, you know, distance. The Ducks team, I think they were in Virginia. But, like, you got to imagine, if you're playing a home game in Anaheim, that's, as you were saying, that's like a four- or five-hour flight. <laughs> and if you're not ready, like, if you – same thing. If you have that mindset of, like, oh, I get the night off, like, I'm chilling, and then all of a sudden you got to play, like, I feel like even on a, a normal day when you have a game, you know, that's – tons of mental stuff of like getting ready to play and all that but now you gotta go sit on a bus or sit on a you know plane for a few hours and be like all right well and especially i mean if it's a guy's debut too you gotta think that way it's like all right it's not you know you already have the nerves of playing your first nhl game then you're just gonna sit probably by yourself on this bus or plane you know just like waiting for the game to start yeah it's 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 such a mental thing because uh you also i think they fly teams families in now their parents for for their nhl debuts too so that's another part of it uh whole other topic but they have to also figure out how to get their their family in um but you're you're absolutely right it's i mean being an athlete most of my life i know the difference between being mentally ready and not mentally ready and when i have a day off you know let's say let's use since we all went to chapman and play lacrosse let's use a chapman lacrosse game let's say we were you know, all three of us were backups. Um, some of us know that feeling a little bit other than better than others, but some of us are, are backups. We're sitting on the, we're sitting on the, in the meeting that morning and we're, you know, not thinking we're playing. So, you know, you're excited, you're into it, but if you hadn't played in the last six games, you're probably not as mentally ready as you would be if you had been starting the last three games and you know that you're going to start. So the night before you can, you're maybe, you know, a little more relaxed. Um, but you get the, the notice that day in the meeting, you're starting today. That's a that's a big thing. You know, you're supposed to be always ready, but let's say let's let's be more dramatic and say you're like the fourth backup. You know, you're you're the very last goalie that's going to go in or you're the last attackman that's going to go in. And then four guys get hurt in front of you and all of a sudden you're the guy. So, that's kind of how it is in the AHL where you don't necessarily know you're the guy because they could lose a specific role. It's not like I'm the best player in the AHL. As soon as this team yeah. has an injury, I'm going up there. It's like they lost their best defensive defenseman. So now the number four defenseman on our AHL team is the one getting called up to play for the NHL team. So you're absolutely right, though, boy. It's like I can't imagine the feeling of of the stress, um, even if it's not your debut. But just getting ready for that situation when you're getting called up last minute um, 
and having to fly or drive all the way to the to the NHL rink and play in this game. So, um, you know, it's it's something that I think a lot of teams try to prepare for. I don't think that they want that to happen because they know that and probably don't get as good of a performance from a lot of those guys, just nerves and things like that. Whereas two days before they tell them, all right, we're going to need you for this game. Let's call you up. You're going to actually practice with us today and everything, and then get into the game tomorrow. It's a whole lot different. So definitely something that teams try to avoid. Um, but let's move on here to Honestly, before we move on, yeah, I want to raise up uh, a point because I uh, threw in the notes here, but I mean, do you think there's a big difference between, you know, being an AHL guy and, you know, coming up and playing in a rink you've never been in too? Cause uh, I'm, I'm I might have this wrong, but I'm like pretty sure that the Sharks, NHL and AHL team, both play at the Shark Tank. You know, so at least if you're playing a home game at your debut, like this is ice you skated on. You know, maybe the crowd is a little bit bigger than you know the AHL team polls, but you know, it, do you think that's you know a little easier than you know say the Ducks? You're playing in San Diego for a while, and then now you're going to come up uh, and then play up in Anaheim for the first time. Yeah, Warren, what do you think about that? I think yes and no. I, 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 you know, to play a little bit conversely, I just think that anytime you get a ch- shot in the show, the NHL, like you're just going to be so excited. And I think the reason the guys are in the AHL is to, to do that. And I think that kind of to some extent they are ready. And I think to some extent too, that they know their role and they know kind of, you know, when a left wing comes off the ice that you're a left wing and you're going to come on the ice. Like, and I think when they're waiting in the wings in the AHL, they know who the guys are that are hurt or healthy and, and they're watching those games. And, and yeah, I think if you're in San Jose, it's got to be easier to, <laughs> to stay and go play there. Um, but, you know, as opposed to being in San Diego and driving up or somewhere else, you know, like Chicago, I think there are teams in, you know, Western Illinois or something, Rockford. Um, and so I, I think it could be easier to some extent, but I just think that these guys are ready and that they're pro athletes in the AHL even and, and that they're ready to go no matter what. And it's it's different, you know, than than like the NFL or other leagues where guys get called up. But I think they're kind of – they've done it their whole lives and they're kind of ready for it. Just yeah. cool to see how many guys score in their debut, you know. Maybe it's because they're relaxed the night before. Or I don't know. They, or because they took that lap on the ice by themselves yeah. where the whole yeah. other team went out. But yeah. who knows? No, you make a good point. They, they are pros, and that's that's why they're pros. You know, it's not it's not as drastic as relating it to a college or high school athlete who's mentally not as prepared. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. And I think – I think it's got to be weird to me though, specifically playing in front of a bigger crowd. I'd be a little more nervous for sure, but I'd also be more excited. You know, how great is it? I don't know specifically what AHL teams are, but you know, we've been to a few AHL games. There's what 10,000 at the most, I think in those places, uh, probably less, probably more like yeah, five or seven. Um, and you, then you go into the NHL arenas that are 25, 30 people, 30,000 people, 25 or 30 people would be like my high school <laughs> games. Um, 25 to 30,000 people and it's going to be loud there's going to be the the big music the cool videos you know it's it's a different experience but I think a lot of that would be beneficial um for a player because you know the nerves are good the excitement's good and they get out there and like you said a lot of guys are scoring in their debuts so um definitely an interesting interesting feeling that I bet you know is is very strange for a lot of those guys but let's move on here now so interested in this topic favorite hockey moment um and the main reason i'm super interested in this is because i think we're all going to have very different responses because some of us played some of us played in different places than others some of us played in different leagues than other people and some of us didn't play at all <laughs> and so it's going to be interesting to see what you know your whole I, I life you know if you're to look at one like moment five. yeah sorry some of us didn't play past the second third grade whatever it was with that lefty uh lefty stick that you still use but yeah so let's do this. Let's go bowl first. I want to go. What you can you could talk about a couple and then pick your number one. But favorite hockey moment in your life? I mean, I think it's got to be miracle, like miracle on ice. Uh, and it's even you know obviously I wasn't alive for it when it when it happened in real time. But I remember going and seeing that movie uh, with my mom, and she said that you know, like the entire game and you know the one of those that last scene uh which is basically just the actual game between the u.s and and russia uh i was like sitting on the edge of my seat and i was so nervous that the u.s wasn't gonna win that i had to like my mom had to spoil the movie because i just like was an anxious wreck (laughs) wondering if the u.s was gonna win or not and i mean even with that like you know the like leaving that movie i remember just sitting in my basement and like putting uh hockey pads on like the just like leg pads and just doing that one was it's the one russian Trainiac. guy with the, 
yeah when he keeps like going down and i was just like oh, i want to be jimmy craig and like the whole thing and <laughs> i mean even now you know we've i've gone back to lake placid to go skiing and whatnot and uh i mean just walking down that main street you can see i mean i i showed you guys like i think it was last year two years ago i ended up like you know once i had a actually had a job end up saving some money and, and bought myself a ruzioni jersey because i'm like oh, this is like so cool like this is like usa hockey at its finest so i think yeah. it's gotta be a miracle for me yeah, that, that's an interesting one, too, because like you said, none of us were alive for that. But it feels like we were because we live it through other people, which is actually probably cooler in part because, you know, if we I think if, you know, the way we're talking, to, let's, I'm just going to use the example of talking to my dad, you know, hearing where they were at the time, because it was a different time. It's not like you, you know, asked me where I was when the uh, something happened last season in the NHL. It's like I was here I'm watching on my TV like an old person. But back then, that wasn't the case. You weren't watching the games live on TV. There wasn't even a live feed of the game. The people that watched it on TV watched it hours after because they weren't even able to get the rights to live stream the game. So if you weren't yeah. at the game, you didn't know what was happening, um, well, that's, which is that's, wild. It's like going with that, my, uh, we have a family friend. Their first date ever was that game. Wow. And I'm like, talk about wow. a first date. And I mean, they've been married Look. to this day. So I hope so. You I can't mean, get probably the, you can't get a breakup after that. That's yeah. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're it's sad. been at least 30 years they've been married, but it's like, damn, like, yeah, that's that's a pretty memorable first date to go on. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. That was a, <laughs> oh an amazing moment. Um, and the cool thing about that one is it's such a big moment that you hear it's always present. It's always being talked about. Uh, the pl- the players are coming out and dropping the puck at games or whatever it is, it's very much still alive. Uh, and, and we'll never, you know, that, that story will never fade. And I, like you said about the movie, I hadn't read the, uh, Friday night lights book or anything before I went, saw that movie. So I was the same way where I was so nervous of what was going to happen in the game, not realizing that everybody knew because it was already a story <laughs> that had come out. You know, you're not, you're not sitting there like, you know, no one knows what's going to happen. So that's a, always a funny feeling, but Warren, what about you? Man, that's tough. It's definitely I have a multifaceted answer. I think I'm such a guy like I love just practice. And I think that like playing a year of juniors was just so cool to be able to like get up and practice every day before school, you know, at 6am and and play at a high level, you know, and, and travel to like, you know, hours away to go play hockey it was just really cool with the team on the bus. And, and, uh, you know, I think that was one of my favorite memories, just playing juniors for a year and seeing what that was like to be, at, you know, higher level hockey. But I, I would like grew up playing and I don't know about you, Sam, but like, just, you know, those days on the ice with like your dad or your family, those are just really special. So I like used to go to stick times every morning, you know, with my dad who started playing hockey when he was like 46 years old. I think his jersey number was like 46 because of that, which is hilarious, you know, just great jersey number. And I think just going out and play with him was, was a pretty cool memory too. But anything, you know, out with you guys on the pond was good or I, you know, it's, I think there's so many, it's such a hard question to answer. Yeah. But uh, what team did you play for, by the way, in junior? I played for the River City Jaguars. There was a it was a junior A called the the NORPAC Northern Pacific League, and I think they're used they're kind of an upstart newer team. Um, but there's a couple teams in that area, so it was it was teams from you know all the way up in kind of Washington um, or out in Idaho, and then all through Oregon as well. So it's kind of three states. You got a bunch of calls from NHL GMs. You were just like, nah, man, I'm gonna be a surgeon. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Dressful. No, there was not so much. I think we had one guy went and played pro in in Germany, um, but other guys just went. I don't know. You know, I got to look up on guys, but maybe played like D three or some hockey. But it was a, it was an interesting team. We are we actually we had a couple guys that like were fighters for the WHL, and they would come because it, you know this team's just trying to sell tickets, so fighting was a huge part of it. Like I definitely had to get my nose fixed after you know a season with those guys. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I'm glad you said about being younger because. For me, uh, you know, I have a bunch. I one of the best was being at the Winter Classic last year with you, Bull. Um, just seeing hockey in in Texas in a stadium sold out with eighty thousand people in, in an incredible game as well um, was awesome. My first trip ever seeing the Stars at home after growing up years watching them on as the visiting fan in, in New York and New Jersey and getting booed and and yelled at the whole time was awesome. <laughs> um, for the the biggest ones for me though, and the reason I said you know the younger days is because back in the day, if I'm to th- if I think about hockey, f- my career, the first thing that always comes to my head is this place called Bayonne, which is where I played those early days. Um, and my brothers will know the same thing because when they started, they played there as well. They only lasted a couple years, I think, playing. But 
it was about 45 minutes east of my house in New Jersey, basically Newark. It was basically all the way to Newark. Um, the place smelled bad. It was dirty. It was, <laughs> it was gross. And our practices were at 5 or 6 a.m. So we had to drive almost an hour to get there and play at 6 a.m. So those days of waking up, putting my pads on in the living room so I didn't have to get dressed in the cold rink when I got there, um, oh, the old home dressing days, yeah, uh, you know, getting geared up and then sitting in this car, um, which the car ride itself probably has more memories than the actual hockey. But I would drive with my dad um, 45 minutes to this practice. The practices when you're little are only like 30 minutes because you can't do a whole lot. So you get out there, you practice for 30 minutes, get changed, and you go home. And it's it's like a three-hour process for 30 minutes on the ice. But the days I wake up, I'd get dressed really quickly in the living room, go into my dad's car. He would always, always be boring talk radio on the way to the, the practices. <laughs> Listening to like the Mets analysis game before and i was like dad just anything but this like I either turn it off so i can sleep in the back seat or play something so i can try to wake up for practice like anything but what you're doing right now um but i'll never forget we started playing games at bayonne at 6 a.m which is oh it's just fantastic you don't get any more hype for a game than at 5 a.m yeah. 45 minutes away but oh we'd God. go and get to this game and on the way back we lost 10 to nothing in this game i was probably 10 years old maybe we lost 10 to nothing and on the way back my dad He's listening to talk radio. He turns off the radio, looks at me, and I'm like, what? What do you want? I'm all mad because we lost the game by a lot. He goes, you know where babies come from? Oh, man. <laughs> and I was like, worst you day have your life. got to be kidding me. This is the time where you want to bring this up right now. And we went on to have that conversation on the 45-minute drive home from my 10 nothing loss um, at 6 o'clock in the morning. So those are, are one of my favorite days. But I would say if I was to pick one favorite moment uh it would be winning the state championship in high school um just being able to play at the prudential center uh the devil's arena and coming out in front of you know a ton of our fans and being able to win that game celebrate get a ring all that stuff was one of the few times i was able to complete that process uh, after many times losing in the past and future in the finals or whatever it was so that was a huge moment that i will i will never forget um but there's so many like you said pond hockey when you were younger the miracle game the miracle whatever it is um scoring a big goal in a game so a lot of good moments um and i think a lot to come as well uh that i feel like every season some nhl or some hockey fan gets a new favorite moment which is great because there's just hockey's just so so exciting now so many incredible moments you don't go a playoff without just like one of those games where you know, the Sharks score four goals in three minutes or a team comes back from three, nothing to win seven to three or whatever it is. Um, so you get those moments every year. And I think it's, it's something that people don't ever forget. But um, so speaking of, let's go on to the final topic here, uh, state of hockey. So Minnesota has been nicknamed the state of hockey, but the reason this topic is because people say that Nashville is music city. And then people say that Austin is the music capital of the world. And then people say that L.A. is the music capital of the world. There's there's so many of those that I feel like there's probably people who have different arguments on to what the state of hockey is. So I want to ask you guys, it can be for whatever reason. It doesn't have to be statistically, obviously. If you were to say these are the top two or three or and number one state of hockey, if you were to think my kid wants to play hockey in the NHL, where would he grow up? What would you say would be your top teams? Uh, we'll start with you, Bull. Top team? Wait, top. Or sorry, top, top states. Teams. Yeah. Oh, it's like, oh, man, you're asking the wrong person. Yeah, top, uh, top high school <laughs> tier two teams. Uh, <laughs> yep. It's, no, so, I mean, I got Minnesota. Uh, and I think it might just be they've had enough, like, press from the NHL. And, you know, the, what's the, the one day they have, uh, I think it was a few years ago, the Wild had an outdoor game. And it was just, you know, like a uh, high school championship. And I think Minnesota played, like the college played, and then the Wild had the game outdoors. But, I mean, I think you got to go Minnesota because I feel like when you think of hockey and you think of, like, U.S. states, I immediately think of Minnesota. Uh, and again, I mean, it, it could just be that there's enough press and, you know, it's, it's, uh, just money spent on like advertising, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> I don't really think of any other state in the U S uh, besides Minnesota, especially when it comes to, you know, like high school hockey. Um, because I mean, I, 
I, I just told you, I, I couldn't name a single like high school team besides the one that uh, you went to, Sam, or, or the one that was like 30 minutes away from, from my hometown. Because, I mean, my high school didn't have hockey even. Uh, so I got to go Minnesota. Yeah, I think Minnesota, the Miracle on Ice game probably helps you a little bit with that too because half that team was from Minnesota. Herb Brooks <laughs> yeah. coached in Minnesota. Uh, he was in Minnesota. So, um, that's a lot of definitely... guys from Minnesota, Boston. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Warren? Massachusetts. Yeah, I mean, of course, you said not statistically, but I'm just such a stats guy. I mean, the the Minnesota has like 14,553 games played in the NHL, and the next one's New York at 8,000. Like, Minnesota's just far and above. It's just an amazing state, you know, to grow up and play hockey. I, I had a lot of friends that growing up that moved there to play hockey, um, and there's no arguing with it. You know, and it's amazing that they didn't have an NHL team for so long. But, you know, they're just so rich with college. You know, there's teams from... You know, obviously, University of Minnesota, but Minnesota State, Mankota, uh, Mankato. Uh, there's a couple other, like, what was that upstart team a few years back um, that, like, made a huge run in the playoffs? It wasn't Union. There was another team from Minnesota. There's a small school, but it's just so cool to see, you know, who comes out of there, what comes out of there. Yeah. And Duluth's just, a good uh, team now, too. That's what I was Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, the land of 10,000 lakes and, and those are all ponds in the winter, you know? So it's like, it's just, it'd be such a cool environment to grow up and, you know, play and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the cool thing about Minnesota, and obviously this is, this is true in other, some other places as well, especially Canada, which we're not even talking about here, but where, like you said, everything is outdoor hockey when in the winter, you know, which is not the same other places, you know, you get people in, in all the States that, that have frozen lakes or ponds or whatever playing hockey. But in Minnesota, it's like, okay, schools can't. We're all going out into the street or into the pond or into the rink that they built or whatever it is. We're playing all day long, every day. So um, I agree. I have Minnesota for, for the, the state of hockey. It's, it's proven to be. Um, I do have an interesting stat here. So I have the top 10 most active players by state. And some of these are, are not surprising, but a couple of these are really surprising. So we got Minnesota with 7,000, New York with 4,000. Michigan with 3,000, Massachusetts with 3,000, Wisconsin with 3,000, New Jersey with 1.7 thousand, Connecticut 1.6, Washington 1.1, and then California with about 900, and Illinois with 750. So, with a lot of these, you know, you're, you're not surprised. Minnesota, you're gonna have you're gonna have a ton. New York is massive, so you're gonna have a bunch. Um, you know, Texas was was like 11, obviously they're going to have a bunch for being huge. California is, is a huge, but then you get ones like you got Washington, New Jersey, and which are, are not, you know, the, the largest States out there. And so, and they're also not known, especially Washington. I wouldn't think of those places as hockey, you know, hotbeds. So hockey is growing in a lot of places. And I think that it's interesting that some of these teams are, or some of these States are finding ways to build more teams. Um, you know, I recently wrote an article about the, hockey in new jersey and how it's been growing um a lot of those teams didn't have even high school and high school is you know if you look at the states that have a lot of hockey going on high school is the big point that is made a lot of those teams that if there's not a lot of varsity teams in the area there's not a lot of people that really understand hockey not a lot of kids are playing it not a lot of families are watching it and you don't get that 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 development and that hockey knowledge in that area it's until those teams develop a team and now all of a sudden okay my high school has a hockey team so maybe when i'm in in fourth grade i start playing hockey instead of lacrosse or whatever it might be um and especially in new jersey and connecticut those are lacrosse hotbeds so you get players that are kind of making decisions to play different sports developing into those those bigger ones but uh one of the funnier ones with me was uh alaska has the most uh, hockey players per their population obviously Alaska being very small but it's because if you think about it, living in Alaska what else are you going to do yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. the article I was reading was like maybe it's because they're so they're they're kind of close to to Canada a little bit and they're so separated from everything else that it's like all right well we play hockey because it's cold all the time um but it's it's a funny thing to live in one of those places where it's almost the only choice, you know, like a state like California or New York is so big. You could play so many sports. You could do so many things um, that a lot of these places more like Minnesota or, or Alaska or whatever might be the more hockey uh, set because seven months out of the year, that's all you can do because yeah, it's you snowing and cold. All the Minnesota lakes freeze over. I mean, Alaska, you gotta have a hockey <laughs> rink outside. Look, 
10 months of the year you're talking yeah <laughs> yeah it is funny though warren what you said with it, they didn't have an nhl team and then when when minnesota got the north stars they were garbage they were mm-hmm. they were horrendous they were selling like an eighth of their season tickets to fans their games were empty um and then eventually they were able to take off and then as soon as they got good they went to dallas so it's almost talk. like yeah. another you know and and the wild have been you know a, a decent team but no not a lot of success for them in recent meanwhile vegas is like you know hockey hotbed there yeah it's funny to think i wonder what it is in minnesota maybe it's because there's such a focus on college and and high school and everything that the nhl doesn't get as much attention because you know they i'm sure they sell out all their games and they're not they're not the north stars by any means but you get a team like vegas who that that's all there is to do in that now there's football too but that's all there was that's the sport you know that's that's their team so Mm -hmm. you're not going to watch a high school hockey game on a saturday night in in vegas so um no yeah i definitely think though minnesota at the top there um but does some surprises and i think the growth of hockey has been so amazing over the last you know obviously only my lifetime i've been able to see it but seeing how many teams you know if i look back in my my area in new jersey how many teams have or how many schools have varsity teams now um, how many kids are playing hockey? California has been a really cool story. The Orange That's, County, LA area. Yeah, I said California was surprising me that it's only about 900, just because I mean, as you were saying, the Ducks have been around for 25, what over 25 years. I mean, Kings have been around for a while. Same thing with Sharks. Like they have three teams in California that all are, you know, not not old, but they're definitely not you know Vegas young kind of thing. Right. I'm surprised that it's for how big that state is too. Uh, I'm surprised they're not you know, at least a thousand. Yeah. So that's I think I think that's just points. That's NHL points is the 900 number. I, I think there's a lot more players like active hockey players there. Yeah, and I agree just with that. California is like an up and coming state. There's a lot of guys. Or you know you look at like Austin Matthews who's from Arizona. Like you know it's it's pretty cool to see like who's coming from where. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting topic. Um, but that's it. That's all we got today. So Bull, welcome to the podcast. It was fun having you um hopefully have you on another one we'll get some some fun topics we'll talk about your ducks a little bit uh, in the future so thanks for coming on man it was fun it's excited to be here and warren uh... glad to have you again um warren i believe will be probably coming on pretty frequently i'm not going to call him a co-host that'll put a little too much pressure (laughs) on him but i think he'll be on frequently um talking hockey and Every Sunday, we'll have a new episode of the Slapshot Podcast. So thank you guys for tuning in, and we will see you next time. 